0: Ask you to pray with me one more time if you would. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for reminding us in so many different ways of your grace and your loving kindness. We're grateful. We're grateful that you have sent your son into the world to provide reconciliation and atonement and forgiveness of sins so that we might know you so that we might not live in fear so that we might have the privilege of being able to live lives uh, centered on worshiping you and enjoying your grace shown to us thank you for the significance even of the local church and allowing us to gather together today uh, united in christ and being able to worship you together now, my request would be like the psalmist 's request that you would open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your word in jesus' name. Amen. I want to draw your attention this morning to what 's been called a tapestry of praise, and that would be the praise of Zechariah, what we read in our scripture reading earlier it 's in the first chapter of the Gospel of Jesus, according to luke and we 're going to pay, pay a little closer attention to it and and hopefully be impressed and encouraged with the significance of Christ this morning and the hope that He gives to us because it is a sure hope. Christmas means lots of different things. Christ coming into the world means lots of different things. The significance is multidimensional. It is significant that Jesus came here. And that's why Zechariah's praise has been called a tapestry. There's so much going on, and there's so much complexity, and yet it's also very simple when you look at it from one side, but the underneath side shows its complexities. And so what I hope happens this morning is that as we look at this tapestry of praise from Zechariah, that we'll see its simplicity, but we'll also see its complexity, because Jesus coming into the world is very simple. A child can understand the significance, and yet the the grandeur of it all is, is quite complex and, and quite awesome, to use the word, in a purposeful, uh, deliberate sort of way. So what we'll do this morning is, as we work our way through verses 60, 67 to 79, we'll, just for simplicity, simplicity's sake, it might help you, it might not, but just so you know uh, how I'm going to organize my thoughts uh, to kind of sort it out, I'm going to organize my thoughts around four realities equated with the coming of Jesus. Four realities equated with the coming of Jesus. This is to simplify things. But the four realities are designed to bring about praise. To bring about worship. So, again, we could look at 400 realities. But to try to simplify all that's going on in the prophecy, the inspired prophecy, uh, we'll we'll build it around four different points. Um, But, I want to encourage you, these are, the, these are the things that cause Zechariah to praise God, cause him to worship God. Uh, and, and in a similar way, I hope that's what happens to us when we think about Jesus coming into the world, the significance, what it means to the world, what it means to us as believers, what it means uh, regarding our relationship with God, that it would cause us not just to know more, but it would cause us to know more so that we worship differently and it elicits a a, a response from us that's truthful that's genuine that's appropriate ready to go i hope you're ready to go this is this is i think a great christmas gift to us that should encourage us today it's rather astonishing so in verse 67 we read, And his father, that would be John the Baptist's father, and his father Zechariah was filled with or controlled by the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And I don't know what it would have sounded like. We, we don't have the, the audio version. But given the greatness of the details and give it, given what he says we probably should have it be more than just a flat kind of mumbling, yawning kind of thing. In light of what's happening to him, in light of what's happening historically, in light of what he sees coming together, the pieces coming together, when we read those words, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. I would want to put some oomph in there. God is to be blessed. God is great. God is amazing. God is awesome. Our God is to be blessed. To bless someone's name is to say good things, to say appropriate things, uh, to to say positive things. Typically we think, and even as a new Christian I thought when I would read verses like this it didn't make sense because I thought God, God was the blesser, right? God blesses us in Christ, for example. He gives us good things, but the reality is because God blesses us, we are. Do bless God. God is great. It makes me think of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God. Praise God. Give thanks to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's emotion. There's passion. Fueled by reality. So as we look at these four realities, we're going to see something of the reason, the fuel, the energy behind what would cause someone to, to erupt in praising God. I hope these are the kind of things that would cause us to want to praise God as well. Theological realities lead to real praise, I would like to suggest to you. He's not just going to praise God because. It's because of what it means. And I know a lot of you here, that's why you love to come here and we love to to hang out together and fellowship together because we want to know things, not just so we can know things. We want to know things because that's actually what leads to real worship and real praise and real blessing to God. I'm wanting to praise just talking about praise. Because of Christ, it leads to this kind of response. Reality number one, the arrival of Jesus leads to praise because number one, it means the Lord has come. The Lord has come. Verse 68 goes on to say, the praise leads him to say, for he has visited. That's why he's so excited. That's why he's so thrilled. That's why he's blessing God. The Lord has visited. It wasn't like God had been dead up until that point in time, but think of, think of Zechariah, the priest, 400 years of silence between Old Testament times and, and the extraordinary, if you will, hasn't been happening. And now there's something new. There's something significant. This is what we've been waiting for since Malachi. The Lord has visited. He's come in an extraordinary way. Something exceptional. Something significant and special has happened. Something dramatic and unique. 68 goes on. uh, That's why, again, he said, For he has visited. Excuse me, I'm getting so excited I can't talk right. I do speak for a living, but it's sometimes really hard to speak. He has visited, who has visited, back to the earlier part of verse 68, the Lord God of Israel. See, he blesses him, and then he says, He has visited Yahweh, the one true God, our God, extraordinarily, especially in a unique, profound way. He's come here. He's broken the silence. Makes me think of Matthew 1. Emmanuel, God with us. It makes me think of Hebrews chapter 1 where God has spoken in all of these different ways because He's a God of revelation. But in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son. He's visited us like He's never visited us before. It's amazing. Not via types and shadows like we talked about last week. Zechariah here is joining Mary. Mary. And Zechariah here is joining the angels. Chapter 1, verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The angels in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 respond similarly in chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. It's the right response, the response of praise, because God has uniquely, extraordinarily, profoundly visited. changes all of history. Everything changes. That's why I like to say, it's what we've all been waiting for, even if we don't know we've been waiting for it. But Zechariah responding with his inspired prophecy is spot on. You want to know the right way to respond to the incarnation? I know. Sounds kind of arrogant, huh? Let me tell you God's will for your life, right? When you think about what we call Christmas truth, when you think about incarnation, He came here born of a virgin, the right way to respond, I know that I know that I know that I know, is to bless God. How do I know that? Because Zechariah is responding under inspiration. We know that it's the right way to respond. It's the right way. Let's let's move to to another reality that elicits this praise regarding Jesus coming. The arrival of Jesus leads to praise because it means, number two, redemption is sure. Redemption is sure. Sure. And I'm just choosing the one word, redemption, because it's used. But we could talk about salvation. We could talk about forgiveness. We could talk about all the different angles. Again, this is why it's called a tapestry of praise. Salvation is sure, is what we're going to see in the verses. Let's begin looking. How about in verse 68 toward the end there? And so he's visited, not for wrath and condemnation, even if it's what we deserve. No, he's visited and redeemed his people. Redemption. Redemption. And notice, has redeemed. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. All of these things that He's going to do haven't even happened yet. But because He's come, and He's coming, rather, it's going to happen. It's guaranteed. This is how it works. It's unfolding. And He's speaking under, again, inspiration. And so He says, He can say in the past, He has redeemed. To be redeemed, to be set free, right? For a payment to be made, it's... And to then be set free. Redemption isn't a new idea. Think about even like an exodus. And Israel's redeemed. They're set free from slavery. Well, here in a whole... In a way far more significant than that, I should say. Redemption. Jesus is going to come. And He's going to pay the price. He's going to atone. Right? And atonement brings forgiveness. Redemption. Redemption. We're going to be free to act like real human beings. And human beings were made to love God and love their neighbor. No longer enslaved to sin like Romans chapter 6 would talk about. That's why he's so excited about this because redemption has come and redemption is sure. Not possible redemption, but actual freedom from bondage. Do notice too, he has redeemed his people. So he visits, back to that idea, and he redeems. Please notice who's doing all of the action. So many religions say, okay, if we just just, just do this, and then if we can do this, and if we can do this, and then eventually we're going to make our way there. But Christianity says, no, it would never work. The way, the way salvation works is He visits us. He comes down. We don't go up. He comes down and then He does the redeeming. It's no wonder then the perfect response to this, if you get it, is I, I, I bless your name. There's no mutual blessing going on when it comes to this redemption. It's absolutely amazing. How can it be so sure? I asked the next question. I'll pose it to you. How can we be so sure that this is going to be how it is? Well, more of the tapestry, verse 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation. As one commentator, Rick Phillips, says, the horn of an animal is the business end of the animal. Kind of like that. It's used in the Old Testament used even in praising God for being a great Savior and the horn of salvation because it's symbolic of power, strength, might. So how can redemption be sure? It's because the horn, the power, the significance of Jesus Christ. He's the powerful Redeemer. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. amazing we'll come back to the significance of in the house of his servant david let's go to verse 70 as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old so this is according to plan and uh, that we should be saved another good word that relates to redemption that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us just like there's lots of temporal rescuing, temporal delivering. There's something greater in view ultimately here with Christ, but he's borrowing the Old Testament kind of verbiage. And Jesus comes in the line of David, so it's related to the Davidic promise. Again, we'll we'll go there in our minds a little bit later under another one of these points. But, but But a true king, a gracious king, and the Old Testament world is going to be a delivering king. Okay? So, so he's going to provide for his people. He's going to deliver his people. He's going to protect his people. He's going to, we would use the terminology, or, or he does here, he's saving his people. And Jesus is going to save not only in a temporal kind of way, but greater than that. Think, think about Israel. They, they've, been, they've had enemies, 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 enemies. Egyptians, Canaanites, Assyrians, Babylonians, and now the Romans. They know all about needing to be saved, delivered by God. And Jesus is the ultimate deliverer, ultimate king, savior. Gracious, kind, generous, benevolent. Back to that in a little while. We're not going to take the time, or we'll be here till Christmas Eve. But chapter one, verses thirty-two and thirty-three, talked about this as well. The Lord gave; uh, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So it's making a connection there. Kingdom will have no end from Second Samuel chapter seven, which is where we get that promise. I want to come back to that later. Deliverance from enemies. In case I forget, let's move on. It's just too much. Verse 72 says, Still, we're we're talking about the sureness of redemption leading to praise. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered, again, saved is the idea, delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Redemption is sure. I picked up, hopefully, you picked up on that uh, again, another descriptive word, the word forgiveness. It's redemption, salvation, deliverance, forgiveness. It wasn't like even in the Old Testament, Israel were the people of God because of what they did, because they were so good and they were so worthy. No, forgiveness. And here Jesus comes, the ultimate. Davidite, if you will, and he's the gracious, great, powerful deliverer king, and he is the one who brings forgiveness. Forgiveness assumes there's animosity. Forgiveness assumes what? It assumes sin, it, it, it assumes violation. But Jesus doesn't come as the savior of those who are sinless, he comes as a savior to those who need to be forgiven. He's the forgiving King, forgiving Savior, forgiving Redeemer. We find forgiveness of sins in Jesus. So much happening. Mercy. Did you notice? The connection as far as in verse 72 and 73, this oath that God swears to our father Abraham, remembering his holy covenant, we call it the Abrahamic covenant. I want to keep one whole point for dealing with the covenants in a moment, but for now, let's at least see under the topic of redemption, salvation, reconciliation, forgiveness. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15 Abraham was justified by faith and only by faith. He trusted God. Apostle Paul picks up on this. We don't get this because it's what we deserve. It's an act of God's mercy. He declares us obedient law keepers. Only according to His grace, only according to His mercy, when we're believing, when we're trusting in Him. He's the sure one who provides this. How about verse 76? And you, child, he says to his child, John. Maybe with tempered pride, right? It's my son. My son is going to get to do this. This is amazing. But it's all God's mercy. So it would have to be pride in the right kind of sense, right? If this were me, I'd go on a book tour with my son. Look what we're doing. It's amazing. No doubt he's thrilled. But on a much grander, significant level. And if there is any pride, we know it's perfect pride because he's saying this under inspiration. Right? Qualifiers met. And you, child, John, John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner, who will go before Jesus, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Right? Borrowing from even the the, the ancient kind of imagery where you go telling people, get ready! The king is in the last, the king is in this town, and he's on his way to your town. So clean up the streets. Get things ready. Make things straight. Make things. Comfortable because he's coming, but here he is called the what? The Most High, the greatest king, the ultimate king, the Savior king, the forgiving king. He's coming to a town near you. John has the privilege of being the forerunner to point to him. This is why Matthew eleven eleven says that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived up until his time because of who he gets to point to. You will be called the prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation. Knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. See? Redemption. It's sure forgiveness of their sins because of Him. Because of the tender mercy of our God. See, it's because of Him we have that forgiveness. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Borrowing from Old Testament imagery now to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, borrowing borrowing New Covenant imagery from the Old Testament. Okay, we spent way too much time on this. Perhaps not. It seems like it. Let me just give you a good walk away, a good takeaway here. If you're like Zechariah, one of the reasons you can say, bless God, our God, the God of Israel, because you can have assurance that is genuine. And if you already had assurance as a believer, you can have your assurance bolstered, dare I say, a hundredfold. Because Redemption and all of it, all that it entails, is done by someone else. It's come from heaven. It is sure. It is absolute. It's going to happen. It's based upon the work of God for you. Bless God! It's not me. I know a few greater things. If we're dishonest with ourselves, we think oh, that's not a big deal because I'm pretty confident enough myself. But when we end up being honest with ourselves, <sighs> assurance is a tough one, especially. You grow spiritually. You learn more. You learn about God. Spirit's working in your life. And you find yourself maybe more identifying with the Apostle Paul who's quite mature when he says that he himself, referring to himself, is chief of sinners. It's not said by a baby Christian. It's said by a mature Christian. The longer a I'm a Christian. I don't think I'm just a better and better and better person. I might be growing spiritually and actually might be getting better spiritually, right? Sanctification's happening. And the more you know the Lord and the more you know His Word and the more you see your life, the more you identify with sentiments of the Apostle Paul. So to hear that redemption is done, complete, provided, Forgiveness, not on you climbing the ladder to heaven, but it's come down to you. You can rest. And you can bless God. I maybe mention it too often, but I just just heard a pastor this past week that basically said, and I'm not quoting, but I'm going to paraphrase, unless you love God perfectly... You're not a Christian. I would like to remind you that if you loved God perfectly, you wouldn't need Christ. Bless God because He's provided forgiveness through His Son Jesus. I mean Zechariah's doing it and he hasn't even actually seen Jesus do anything yet. If anybody, we should be blessing if anything, we should be, be able to bless God ten times more genuinely and profoundly in one sense. You hopefully know you know what I'm saying, than he did because we're living on the other side of things. This is really, really amazing. Let's move on to number three a third reality about the coming of Jesus that elicits praise number 3 the arrival of Jesus leads to praise because it means covenantal fulfillment covenantal fulfillment and we're just going to we won't read all the verses again but just we're going to revisit the verses where we see these things happening I heard, I listened to a sermon on this text this past week, uh, and one, one pastor who seems to do his very best to never talk about covenants said, regarding this passage, this is where the covenantal dots are connected. And I thought, if he, if he can do it, I'll do it. A covenant is a, is a formal agreement. Okay, so marriage in the Bible is referred to as a covenant It's not casual, okay? It's binding. And there are all different kinds of covenants in the Bible. There are many covenants. The word is used oftentimes, oftentimes with oaths, swearing. God is a covenant-making God, okay? We see it all over the place. And one thing about the Bible is if you're going to understand the Bible, you have to understand something about covenants because they're all over the place. What happens with Zechariah is, in this tapestry he sees and he draws attention, inspiredly so, to make up words, to connect the covenantal dots. And it happens in Jesus. And if you think about it, that helps us understand the Bible better. So if you're thinking, the Old Testament, there's all these things that happen, and I can't really make heads or tails of the Old Testament, 39 books, and, and it's this and that and the other thing. And... And Zechariah's praise—he at least gets us started to understanding how it all fits together. And the way to get started to see how it all fits together is to see that it all fits together with Jesus. <laughs> okay, so he doesn't answer every question that we have, but we at least see that Jesus is the point, and Jesus is the hope, and Jesus is the fulfillment. So just ever, ever so quickly, he refers to the Abrahamic covenant. In verses 72 and 73, where he talks about remembering his holy covenant, the oath, that's covenant terminology, he swore to our father Abraham. That one's pretty obvious, back from Genesis 12, Genesis 15. So Jesus is the one who actually brings that about as far as fulfillment, ultimately pointing toward him. We could go to Galatians, we could go to Romans, we're not going to do that. Okay, how about Davidic covenant? Davidic covenant is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Psalm chapter 89, verse 3. And even though he doesn't call it a covenant, no doubt it's what he's referring to in verse 69 where he talks about the house of his servant David. Also in chapter 1, he's going to reign, according to 2 Samuel chapter 7, forever he reigns. It's an eternal kind of reigning. Oh, that's that's Jesus. Who's the ultimate, as I said earlier, Davidite? He's born in the line of David. He's the one who will rule and reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. Oh, that's him. He's the one you were waiting for, even if you didn't know you were waiting for him. It's him. So Abrahamic, Davidic. The verbiage he uses in verses 76 to the end to 79 is a lot of that's New Covenant kind of verbiage. New Covenants in Jeremiah 31, as well as in Isaiah, the latter chapters of Isaiah, as well as even the references here of Malachi chapter 4. To bring light to those who sit in darkness. The forgiveness of their sins. Verse 77. Malachi 4. Revelation 22. Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 54 and following. We know Jesus even when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And He says, this is the blood. And it's of the new covenant. It's about me. He's the one that brings ultimate forgiveness. So I guess, again, not to delay us here forever, but in this amazing reality of Jesus coming, we're starting to see the, the dots connected. Oh, Abrahamic covenant. Oh, Davidic covenant. New covenant. Those are the explicit connections. I might suggest one more. I'll actually suggest two more. If Zechariah, who is prophesying is a priest, he represents which covenant? Re- yeah, he, re- he represents Old Covenant. He represents Mosaic Covenant. Because that's priestly system. So now we have more involved. Let's add that to it. Because that's where the priesthood comes. And, and the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, is, is, is gracious in that it's forward-looking, right? It's forward-looking because of all the types and shadows that Hebrews talks about. And we're looking forward to His coming. And so all the sacrifices pointing ultimately uh, to the ultimate Passover lamb of First Corinthians chapter 15. So we're looking forward to Him. See, it's, it's a covenantal tapestry connecting the dots. Now, the Mosaic Covenant also, in another sense, was negative because it kept reminding people of their failure to meet the standard. Like in chapter 18, verse 5. If you do these things, if you obey God perfectly, then you have life. And so, in a sense, it's a a negative thing. Because nobody does it. We looked last week, for those of you who were here, and... Luke chapter 10, where Jesus quotes that and reiterates, if you do these things, you will have eternal life. It's like a dagger to the heart. Because we don't. That's why we need Him. So we're putting the pieces together. Oh, by the way, if I can just go a little further, I know it's still kind of early on Christmas Eve, but if I can go there and think with me, putting the pieces together... That reality from the Mosaic Covenant of do this and live goes even further back to another covenant. Sometimes we've labeled it the Edenic Covenant. Sometimes theologians call it a covenant of creation. Sometimes theologians have called it a covenant of works. You can choose whichever title you'd like, but it's the covenant with Adam. Hosea chapter six refers to it as a covenant. And we can go there because the mosaic is actually related to that as well in the negative sense. If you do this, you'll have life. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So maybe you're getting more than you bargained for this morning. But as a priest, Zechariah knows about the old covenant because he represents it. And in its best sense, it's types and shadows anticipating. It's kind and gracious. But in its, and I hate to say in its worst sense, in its most frightening sense, it's a forever reminder, an ongoing reminder, that we don't measure up and we're in trouble apart from God's grace. And here he is bless God bless God because there's lasting forgiveness we have redemption we have reconciliation we have and I know he doesn't use this verbiage but I'm going to use the verbiage from the apostle Paul like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Romans chapter 5 we have the true and better Adam forgiveness in the new covenant it's Jesus it's absolutely amazing So if you will, by way of review, big picture wise, and because I told at least one of my kids that they needed to write these down, we're moving from all the way back, right, to a covenant with Adam in Eden. And we're going all the way forward to new covenant. I'm not saying there aren't other covenants along the way. But as far as these great, significant ones that are to be mentioned, he goes from here to there and connects all the dots. And in that sense, I don't care what the question is, the answer is Jesus. (laughs) Right? He's the one. He's the one. Bless God. He's the one fulfillment of all that needs to be fulfilled for us to be forgiven and reconciled to God indeed the incarnation is extraordinary I'm skipping the middle ones kids so you only have to know the two and you get lunch let's move on to number four we'll just end on this number four a fourth reality that should elicit praise it did for Zechariah um, because of the coming of Jesus and that's permanent freedom to enjoy God. Permanent freedom to enjoy God. In other, wor- in other words, there's restoration to, as the Catechism says, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Those who came up with that were smarter than we might realize. Now you're, you're a restored human being, able and willing to do what human beings were meant to do, to glorify God, not in your condemnation, but in an enjoyable way. And it's permanent and lasting. This is free to be human and act like it. How about again in verse 74? That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, ultimate enemy is going to be death, by the way, because of our sin in light of 1 Corinthians 15, might serve Him. Another word for worship, like in Romans chapter 12, that we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. I love that because of texts like that that I have to be a preacher or I would just interrupt the whole church service all of our days we are now free to serve him and not only to serve him but it says in holiness and righteousness before him all our days and to do so without fear and there is so much rich amazing awesome Christ honoring theology in that it's not even funny it's, it's heart moving now, 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 and only now, because of what Jesus has done, you are now free to do this. And and think about it. God will be honored by all no matter what. He won't be mocked in the last day. But here, for those who are believing in Jesus like Zechariah, this is without fear. This is enjoyment. This is good. We love this. And holiness and righteousness... All of our days, this is what we can do. Think with me just about a couple of the the great little amazing things that we see in that text. How is it that... I'll just use myself because it's Christmas and I don't want to insult anyone here. We're so glad you're here. I'm just going to insult myself. How in the world could Pat Abendroth... How in the world could Pat Abendroth serve God in holiness and righteousness without fear? Well, because I'm a good person. Because I'm nice, and it's nice to be nice. Isn't that nice? I say that with sarcasm because that's kind of the way we think. We don't have categories for sin. We don't have categories for condemnation. We don't have categories for these things. We don't even know what righteousness is. And I might be relatively nice, especially on Christmas, right? But the Bible clearly teaches that none of us are righteous. Oh, Righteous is a word that always relates to law. How can I serve God in holiness and righteousness without fear? You've got to know I never could in and of, my, in and of myself. Ever, 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 ever. And even the thought of, okay, I've got to serve God in in, in holiness, so it has to be separate, it has to be distinct, especially for Him. (sighs) That's scary. Holiness and righteousness, that means it has to be according to, to His perfect law. Oh, by the way, boiled down would be out of pure love for Him in light of what Jesus says, and out of pure love for my neighbor, utterly, absolutely, completely, if I'm honest, terrifying because I couldn't do it and I'm worthy of condemnation this is what the Old Testament teaches thinking like Psalm 14 this is what the New Testament New Testament teaches thinking like Romans chapter 3 and yet and yet and yet how about this the uh, the Apostle Paul the Apostle Zechariah You never heard of him, but no. And yet, the priest, Zechariah, is blessing God because he knows that forever, for the rest of his days into eternity, he can serve the one true living God in holiness and righteousness and enjoy it. The only, 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 only way is because of the work of Jesus. Because of what Jesus will do. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the Bible says. Jesus Christ, because of what He does, we are set apart unto Him, holy. And so now, by believing in Jesus, His righteousness, His perfection is credited to me. Now I am set apart unto God by His grace, according to His mercy. Not what we've done, but because He came down. Not because we go up, but because of what He provides and His forgiveness. Now I can be sure that I'm sure that I'm sure that I'm sure. Not because of me, but because of Him. That for the rest of my days, into eternity, I can serve God with joy. No cowering, no condemnation. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome and amazing. It's why Zechariah the priest can say, Bless God. It's because Jesus came here to do these things. We say Jesus is the reason for the season? Awesome. Awesome. How about Jesus is the reason? (laughs) And how about Jesus is the reason for our praise? Because of who he is and what he's done. He's been so good to us and so kind to us. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. Let's pray and ask God for help. God, thank you for this morning. Help us to have a response that's at least imitating Zechariah's. Thank You that You don't accept us based upon how good our praise is, though. Thank You that You accept us based upon how good Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is. And thank You that He came into this world and He came into this world. He was one of us and that He did everything perfectly and that He fulfilled all righteousness, that He was obedient to You even to the point of death on a cross. And that he was raised victorious because of his perfect work. And that he has ascended into heaven and claims us as his own, even right now, as our one and only ultimate high priest. We're grateful for him. We're grateful for the opportunity to rest in him. We're grateful for the opportunity to be his ambassadors and tell other people of the good news of salvation in Christ. We're grateful that it doesn't come to us because of our goodness, but it comes to us by simply believing in Jesus, by resting in Him, by trusting in Him because of His perfection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.